Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome in. Uh, it is Tuesday, which means it is time for another Hold That Podcast podcast. T-Bob Abier and Brody Miller. It's brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, that is where Brody works, where he writes. Uh, his work is excellent. You should check it out. Also, if you want the best sports writing site on the internet, you should go to The Athletic. Uh, you've probably forgotten how nice it is to deal with a website with no ads. Um, it's unbelievable. Great app on the phone. Top-notch writers. Go to theathletic.com slash podcast. 40% off. Uh, Brody, what's going on, man? Um, as we dive into today's episode, so those don't know, it's an LSU podcast. Talk LSU football every week for about an hour. Super fun. If you like it, share it. We love it. Um, but b- before we get into this, uh, Brody, first off, how are you doing? Hello. Nice to see you again. I'm doing pretty well to you, Bob. How about you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Um, uh, but the, the world's a little crazy right now, right? And I don't, um, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time what's talking about going on or what's going on in the outside world right now. I think there's better avenues for that. Um, I, I, I guess I'll just say though that look d- during these dark times, I think sometimes kind of a distraction or a way to kind of remove yourself just for a short amount of time is nice. It's good for brain today. We're going to try to give you, like I said, about an hour of fun college football talk to distract you. But first, Brody, is there anything that you would like to say publicly? I know I've addressed it on my show, but about um, what's currently going on in the country right now. Yeah, no, I think I think you hit just kind of the fact that, you know, there's so much stuff you guys should be reading and listening to about what's going on right now. And I reckon I highly recommend everybody um, reading The Athletic. Basically, a large portion of our our you know black reporters wrote their their own experiences of moments of racism and it's a heartbreaking but incredible read that i really recommend people check out and and we stand behind all those people and we we really want to be supportive and listen at these times but you know right now i i don't i I think this show is for today it's going to be kind of a you know we're going to talk a little football we're going to try to give people something else to to maybe escape to but we really do want you guys to check those things out and, and really listen at a time like this yeah, and in terms of voices you should be listening to, I don't know if two suburban white kids is the uh, is the exactly. answer necessarily, right? Like, there's experts here, and and all I my my only feelings of the situation to sum it up, and I said on the show, is that unless meaningful change takes place, it's going to continue to happen. What we're seeing throughout the country right now, and I hope that there will be some meaningful change. How to accomplish it is, you know, that's obviously the billion dollar question. It's very smart people. I hope that we can figure it out. I hope that I can be a part of it. And I hope that accountability will reign from here on out. But um, so that's that. So so that's like, that's, you know, okay. So now we're in a football mode. Like I said, this is just going to be a nice little respite from the sea of madness that can be the real world sometime. It's why I play so much uh, World of Warcraft classic right now. It's just a great way to be like, wait, I'm not quarantining. I just want to be inside on my computer 24-7. And secretly, I really do just want to be on the side on my computer 24-7. I love it. I love it so much. I'm level 60 now, Brody. Do you know what that means? I'm getting ready to raid the Molten Core tonight. Cannot wait. It's almost like the national championship of WoW. And, you know, this morning on the show... I had on national champion head coach Ed Ogeron. He stopped by off the bench. Did you uh, did you get to listen to any of it, Brody? I did. I listened to most of it. Absolutely, yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, it was pretty boring for the most part. Um, but we did get <laughs> well. You guys uh, have them on maybe, like almost every week, which is which is it's awesome. Every very week, important, it, but yeah, the novelty you know, is mean, probably yeah. yeah. The well, the novelty's gone, but then also like there's no new pieces of the news cycle, right? It's exactly. like, hey, players reported. Uh, how's that going? Oh, we got a team meeting at eleven. Wow, fascinating. Um, but they are for those that don't know LSU football. The players are back. They had a team meeting this morning at 11 where they laid out everything. Um, I it's, it mu- I don't know. It must have been a good meeting. I, I had somebody <laughs> text me that is not um, kind of affiliated directly with the football team but was in that room, and they said they got goosebumps at the meeting. So take that for you know, what? I, yeah, goosebumps. Goosebumps, Brody. Okay, or <laughs> frisons, as my Cajun grandparents used to call them. Uh, but uh, but so so I don't know. So they had well, a team this had like he's had what three three full months of not directly like being in a huddle with his team. I think he's got a lot of pent up energy. That's why he's running shirtless in Destiny. He's got to get it out somehow. So he's probably pent up, and he got that meeting was probably just like everything flew out of him. So I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's reasonable. If I was placing a bet on that, it'd be minus 200 goosebumps any day. Yeah. And, um, and it was funny, you know, we asked him like, is, is there any kind of different feeling today? And he basically said, uh, like I guarantee the assistant coaches can feel me today. So the energy level, the, the Red Bulls of coach O was probably just <laughs> through the roof today, getting everybody. Cause I mean, this is the day where you give the speech, right? Yeah, like you probably you did it during spring, but then all that crazy stuff happened, and so you I guess you have to re give it kind of adjust it. You know, like you you got to make it like us against the world. Like it's it, you know it's not ideal, and we didn't get to do what we need to do. But you know, there's no excuses. We're gonna have we got to defend a national championship. It doesn't matter what you did last year. It's all about this year. Yada yada. So it's true because they're I probably hope- the. I mean, I think they rank pretty highly in, in the grand this one championship, so who cares? But probably the biggest losers of all of this the past few months. I think, you know, Shea Dixon actually put a little report out from 24 7 today, kind of implying that the shutdown actually really stung LSU in recruiting. And obviously, LSU recruiting is doing fine, grand scheme of things, but the spring would have been when they really cashed in on, like, you just won national oh. championship. You're going to show it off to everybody. You're going to have visitors come in, show them the title championship, show them all these things. And they kind of just missed that momentum. And I, I thought that was interesting. And it was more of a, a theory from Shea and some people he's talked to. But I do bet there's some truth to that. Then you added you're a team replacing 90% of your production. You lose spring ball. All these things. I mean, I think LSU is one of the biggest losers. So I could see Ed Ogeron kind of needing to – to drop a mandate down right now because they have as much to make up these next few weeks or however long as, as anyone in the country. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, that's the thing is that he's got to lay it out to the team that like, look, man, success comes with a price, right? It's a price paid beforehand and work and dedication and all that, but it's also a price paid afterwards and that suddenly people are going to expect more out of you. And now LSU is going to have to deal with something that they've actually been a bit free of recently, uh, and which is the burden of expectation. And let's see how this LSU team can live up. Now, as far as the interview, uh, I love that by Shay though. What a, what a fascinating. And you know what else is true, Brody? Now that I'm thinking about it, it's like when Tell you me. get when you get new facilities in the arms race that yeah. is college football. How long do your facilities stay cutting edge? Right. 
And so to lose an entire like spring recruiting cycle where you have the latest greatest to show off in person, that's that hurts. That hurts a little bit. It's their first spring Um, since they got all that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's it's big, and especially considering they're going national more these last you know year or two and going forward, that is a bigger thing. So like Louisiana kids, that's fine. You're not really hurting in that sense. You're probably going to land those kids anyway. They still can probably make a visit whenever they want. But you know you're. Your Brocker Myers or your Tristan Lees or your Caleb Williams is the big one. You know, all these guys who were national guys that were probably going to come across the country to come visit. You're, it's not that you're out of it or anything like that. They're still in the running, but momentum is big in recruiting, and now you're losing that momentum. So, And you're right. Yeah, this is the first spring since all those facilities got released. You can't show them the pods, man. The sleep pods. pods. You can show uh, them, but you can't nap in them. And the nap's really the honesty, selling point. The pods are tight, but the coolest part of the new locker room is actually like the little entranceway, which has a great like sci-fi sort of feel, almost like <laughs> 1970s Star Wars sci-fi. Yeah. It's all like very white, very lit up, like pneumatic doors, you know, that like slide open automatically. Very true. Uh, and that's, that's where all the I can think that, about. The change are right. Uh, wait, wait, wait. yes, 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 with yeah. like the projectors or whatever. Yeah, it's no, yeah, no, sorry, sorry. I thought you were still going there. No, 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 it's a, but it does have that great, <laughs> that great like, 70s sci-fi it. aesthetic. Um, so as far as, so, I mean, well, one last thing on this idea of, you know, losing a spring, think about it percentage-wise, right? You may have three years, if you're lucky, where you have the latest, greatest facilities, and you've lost 33% of that time now. It's a bummer. Yeah. Uh, now, what Coach O talked about this morning, we asked about the secondary I think there were some interesting things that came of that, but probably the most interesting thing to me, and it was maybe a throwaway line, maybe it wasn't, but we asked about leadership. And and he rightfully pointed out, like, yeah, look, leadership, you discover leaders, right? It comes through the process a lot of times. But you do have guys that you maybe expect to lead. And defensively, one of the first names that he mentioned was Andre Anthony. Yeah. Andre Anthony. The uh, we, we've talked about him a lot, a name that's been mentioned in LSU circles for years and years without a lot of on-field production. They moved to the four-three. He's now in line to start on one of the edges, but it looks like the Andre Anthony hype train continuing. But then you want you can't help it. You know the cynic in me has to at least like kind of wonder: is that is that hey the fifth year guy? You know, like the fifth year guy is just like a guaranteed guy you mentioned there. I mean, maybe I'm being too it's fair. No, no, no. I mean, it, I think you know, I'm trying to make a, sense a, of it. Yeah, is a generally high character guy. And I actually got in this discussion with a group of friends, you know, who we were around the LSU community a few weeks ago. And we were talking about, you know, the 18 thing, who wears 18. And granted, we all kind of operate on the assumption it's Jacoby Stevens, right? But, but then we kind of said like, hey, if it wasn't Jacoby, like if for some reason that's just not happening – who would it be? And all of a sudden, we got in this kind of rabbit hole of, I have, there's no obvious candidates after that. And and that's not a dig. It's just, that's just a result of you lose six to 15 starters and all that. And and the guys who are the returning starters aren't necessarily like the, the leader types. But, and this is also isn't me saying like LSU doesn't have leaders. It's not. It's just interesting that going into this season, you really don't have many established guys. And guys will probably rise up, like you said, and you discover it and all those things. It's just interesting because you go offense. And if you, you know, Ogeron gave an answer and he said, but he led off with Racy McMath, which is interesting, right? Like, because if I asked you off the top of your head. Very, very. 
But I think that's telling. It's that, hey, they like Racy, you know, like, but it's not like a, there's no obvious leader. Because if I asked you yesterday, no, and they, who's and the and biggest leader on the point. offense, who would you have said? Yeah, no, I mean. I have no idea. Jamar Chase, right? I mean, and I don't he's know. Not a, kinda, he's not and a talker. And that's just like, yeah. no, that's just yeah. like the default single answer. You're just choosing the, the best yeah. player, which is different. But, wow. Um you know, and, and to your point, Brody, offensively, I'd kind of forgotten about the race wing math comment, but you're right. That is so surprising. But then even more so, it almost felt like he threw Miles Brennan in there maybe as like an afterthought. Like as like, like, oh, like, yeah, the quarterback, you know? And yeah. it was like, oh, yeah. And I mean, and I mean, Miles, the quarterback has got to be a leader. So it, it, it comes down the process. And he it's didn't true. get spring ball. To do it. And so if Miles is going to be the guy that eventually when Ogeron's asked that question, he says Brennan the same way that he said Burrow, like what he does over the summer will go a long way towards establishing that. And and I wonder, man, this you know how Burrow could get everybody up for like Saturday, 10 a.m. practices. Does that continue? Can Miles kind of wield the same influence? Or even more so than Miles. This, this is something that Matt Flynn talked about last year that I think was a key element of a championship team. He said any championship team he's ever been a part of, there's been a great overall leader, but then there's also been great sub leaders, right? Like your boss and your underboss, right? Like each position group last year, whether it was Rashard Lawrence on the defensive line, Lloyd Cushenberry on the O-line, I guess Jacob Phillips or Patrick Queen in the linebacker room, Grant Delp, like every position group, had a very good upperclassman leader to keep everybody in line. That's how they got everybody there for 10 a.m. Saturday practices, truly voluntarily. I make a lot of jokes about voluntary workouts, right? But when you're talking about guys going in 10 a.m. at Saturday, that is truly voluntary, player-led. You would think they would feel like they need to do it again. Do they? Can the leaders pull it off? These are all things that remain uh, to be seen. And and the, it's a great point you're making, and it almost makes me wonder. And this is just a you know a BS theory, but it's like you kind of need transition years for guys to you know when you like when you have a mass drop off. Yeah, when you're losing like only eight starters a year, you feel pretty confident you can keep you know leaders every year. But, but when you have one like this, maybe there needs to be like a a transition year because I point to 2018, and you know let's be honest if. If we asked us who the leaders of 2018 were, I think at the time we would have default said by obviously Devin White and Foster Moreau. But yeah. I mean, I think in hindsight, like, I don't know if those two are really the kind of leaders that made 2019 great. And I don't know, maybe you disagree, but well, I, think, I, I don't think, think, I think they were more talkers and not necessarily like everyone would run through a wall for those two. And I know that might sound mean, but I think there's some truth to that. I think for sure with Foster, I don't know about White. I guess I don't, I don't know if I'm. It's yeah, so I tough to know. I don't know that either. It's so, it's so tough to know actual, like, interpersonal locker room stuff, like, who really has respect and who has public respect. I will say that White is just a guy who always said and did the right thing. Sure. So I imagine he was, you know, it's kind of, yeah, I, I, I imagine. And I guess that I lost track it. because what I was getting at was more of that. But through that 2018 campaign and the highs and lows, that's how Joe Burrow won people over. That's how Lloyd yep. Cushenberry won people over. Or, you know, so many guys I'm just not thinking of right now. Adelpid, for example, all these guys. So by the time 2019 came, there were a bunch of actually like 
battle-tested veteran guys who could do that. But 2018, they weren't there yet. And I just, I'm speculating, but I wonder if 2020 is going to be a smidge similar in that sense. That's all I was saying. Yeah, and ultimately, the best way to get leadership, like to push you across the finish line, you got to have the personality and everything. But the best way is just ball. Like if you're just (laughs) kicking everybody's ass. And so if Brennan goes out there and he's doing really well in practice, and the season starts, and he has like really good games, right? Like the same way that what does Coach Joe say that Burrow in Georgia in 2018? That was when he finally won yeah. the team over. Somebody told you that. Um, well, well, that you know, I oh, wonder if me. like Texas, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, there you go. So I wonder if like Texas or like one of these other early big games would be that. Well, it has the potential to be that moment. So we'll see. Okay, the other thing that Coach Joe broke down was the secondary. Yeah. Um, well, it just reminds you of how chock full that secondary is. I don't know how you interpret it. To me, I felt like they feel like Stingley and Ricks are going to be their starting corners, maybe Stingley and Flott. But that yeah. either way, uh, it sounded to me more like they think Stingley Ricks and that maybe Flott would move to the nickel and that Kerry Vincent is going to be competing for that playing time at a position that he's actually held down now for like a couple years. Yeah, it's... It's interesting because he said Cordell would be listed as the starter right now, but he kind of said at at outside corner. (laughs) Yeah, at outside corner. Yeah, but then said Bud Elias Ricks is going to come on strong. And it's kind of, you know, for lack of a better example, it's almost like your Adrian Mickey, you know, Jason Hines thing last year, right? Where it's Uh like you're, you're a, you know, Cordell Flott is a very, very reliable corner. And he has the proof of last year to show if you look at the stats, he was actually just from a, you know, advanced stat metric kind of thing, like one of the better corners in the SEC last year. As the fourth and he guy. earned his way onto the field late, which is impressive. Down the stretch, it's hard. Absolutely. During the season, it's hard to be impressive enough in practice to be like, oh, we got to play this guy. But that <laughs> means that he was just out there dominating one-on-ones against Marshall and Chase and these guys. They're like, okay, you know, he 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 truly made them play him just by playing very well in practice. Just it sounds crazy, but that's tougher to do than you would think. No, you're absolutely right. So, and what's interesting there, I think, is I think if I had to speculate here, I'd say that that's kind of one of those things where Cordell Flott is probably the guy you by far trust more right now. But you know, Elias Ricks's upside is very high. You know, he's a five star guy with crazy measurables and has a chance to, if he gains weight and all those things, to actually really be a star. But I mean, from what I've heard, I mean, he just really needs to develop physically. So he's just like, I just, I, I'm, I don't think he's there yet. So I, I wonder if that's like a, you know, like if you're playing the right, but I think there's going to be some finessing going on there. You know, I think that's a thing where Flot might be the starter, but you really need Ricks involved. So one, he doesn't turn off, but also two, just to like let him develop. So I wonder if it's going to be a thing where Flot, you know, I don't know if it's, I think, I wonder if it's going to be pretty shared, I guess is what I'm getting at that yeah. you really need Ricks on the field to let him develop, even if you trust Flot more. Cause that is a tough balance to find, especially as you're a tr- program that's kind of in transition a little bit right now. I, I, I'm fascinated to see how they handle that. And maybe we're also not giving Flot's upside enough credit, but I've just always gotten the sense that Flot would be the starter. But Ogeron's comments, like you're getting the same sense as I did, that I think he wants Ricks to win that job over, which is fascinating. Well, and and I the, the other thing that I would go to is I was at Derek Singley Sr., who is a coach over here, Absolutely. has been working out uh, the DBs. And when I asked him about Flod, he had very high things to say. But then when he got to Ricks, it's almost like he was like, but this cat's just a different breed. So 
It remains to be seen. The safe play today, like Birdie said, is Flott and Stingley at your corner and Carrie Vincent as the nickel with Ricks working in, you know, where he can as a young guy. Um, but where it becomes interesting is if Ricks wins an outside job, what do you do with Flott and or him yep. and Carrie Vincent then competing? Um, in the safety position, uh, nothing really jumps out there. I mean, Jordan Tolls is a name they continue to love. Um, the thing there is, is it going to be Mo Hampton or Todd Harris that's that's getting that free safety time? Exactly, because I think, and you know, I think the reason I kind of even asked you this morning, we're like, I was like, I want to know what he thinks of Flot is because the thing that Ogeron does, which I, by the way, this is, I don't blame him. This is what you should do. But when he asks, when he's asked about position groups, he tends to just kind of list everybody who's in the yeah. running without ever like actually giving any sense of where they stand. Corner, he actually finally kind of gave us a better stance. Safety, it's just always the same thing, right? Which is kind of listing them. So I don't, it's one of those things where they have five, four guys, I'd say, that you feel you would trust in theory to play. But I don't think there's any one of them where I, besides Stevens, where I actually really know what this LSU staff thinks of them. You know, I don't know. Maybe they think Hampton's the best, or maybe they think Tolls is just that yeah. good. He can come in. I truly don't know. And I still don't think we've gotten a great answer there, which is the only tough thing there. And, it almost makes you wonder if I feel like just I feel they feel a little more confident about all their corners than they would all their safeties. And would I be yeah. wrong in that? And because they're so interchangeable now, you almost wonder if like, you know, because you asked that hypothetical of say, well, Rick's I, I the think, yeah, I think they're more comfortable in their corners just because the corner talent is at a truly absurd level. I still think the safety talent is is very good, though. And it's very good. Yeah. Whoever wins those jobs, like I, th- I think they're going to be, I, th- I think that's going to be a position of strength. Actually, next year, I feel very comfortable in saying that. Yeah, I guess my, well, it was just like a pure theory, but I almost wondered if, because you know, down the stretch they were basically playing four corners at times when Flot would come on the field, right? Yeah. I wonder if there will be times if, like you said, hypothetically, oh. Ricks wins the outside spot. You know, Vincent's the nickel, but you still want Flot on the field. Do you kind of go with more four? You know quote-unquote corners out there a little bit more for flexibility these are all just crazy theories but i i just wonder that because i do feel like you you want those guys on the field one way or another yeah and and to be fair like you know it's hard to judge what's going to happen at safety because dave aranda used the safeties in so many interesting ways three safety looks etc etc uh we don't fully know yet how Bo Pliner used him, except that you can expect a lot more cover too. Uh, I think one thing that Ogeron did not like out yeah. of Dave Aranda is that he loves some cover one. Love the single high safety. That's not uh, not O's favorite. All right. Um, okay, <laughs> which almost leads so, us into our next topic. Yeah. Yes. So now we get to the question at hand, Brody, which is uh, is kind of spurred by a listener who in our live chat uh, thing said um, – I wish I could. Man, can I give him credit? Who is it? I'm trying to remember what his name was. <laughs> Damn it. I forgot. I apologize. But he said LSU is going to make the playoff again, and it's going to be because of the defense. Book it. And so for like, take out the playoff thing. My question then becomes to you, will LSU's ultimate success level be determined by the defense more so than the offense next season? So that's a great question. I just think the way you phrase it, I'd have to say no, even though I, I think we are actually on the same page. But because if they're successful, I think it also me- means I'm, I agree the defense will be the strength. I think the defense will be the thing we talk about more that season. But if LSU is actually great, if they're SEC contender, playoff contender, all those things, the offense 
has to be good. You know, like, like they are not getting there if Miles Brennan does not take you know, a solid step forward that we speculate he might. So I still think the offense is more important in that sense, but I think mm. that's just how you phrased it. But overall, yeah, I think I think the defense will be the strength. I think the defense will keep this team in more games. And I think the question I'd bounce back to you is, say this defense is really great. Does the offense like have a – are they tempted to actually go a little bit more back to slower tempo, control the clock at all? Do you think there's any chance of that? I, I, I would assume no, but I just can't help but wonder. I mean, I, no, I don't think you're ever going to go back to like a traditional like power traditional, eye, like, you know, like true yeah. like conservative ball. But yes, absolutely, like schematically or, or – or, or not even schematically. What's the word I'm looking for? Um Maybe stylistic style. Yeah. Maybe like philosophically or stylistically. Uh, yeah. I think, look, when you have an offense, you have this great, huge, like almost like, like general store of tools to choose from. Right. But you don't need all the tools for every job. So you got to look at like, okay, what, what can this team do? Um, what is Miles comfortable with? What plays does he excel at, right? So maybe that's taking out a lot of the, even though they say they're not going to, but you probably de-emphasize like some of the quarterback zone read stuff or or at least some of the quarterback design runs for sure, right? That's not a strength of his game. Maybe he throws like a deep ball better, et cetera, whatever, whatever the best route is. So like, yeah, you, you, you do have to customize that attack uh, to your offensive personnel, but larger than that, you have to customize it to your team strengths as well. So if you get a couple games in and the offense is going three and out too fast too much and and the defense is really dominating show that they, you know, that they can kind of control the tempo of the game, then I'm not I don't think you'll ever they'll ever go like full on conservative again, but yeah, I think a, a dialing back could definitely be seen. Or if you're running the ball maybe better than you're throwing it, you know, like relative to last season or relative to each other, then yeah, maybe you do start to work in the running game a bit more. I mean, I mean, one thing about LSU last year is, well, while I def okay, so while the offense definitely accomplished what they set out to do, more and more throughout the year, they learned that they could just throw the ball like all the time, and that they could yeah. uh, they could just really rely on Burrow whenever they needed. If they don't have that with Miles, I think it's only natural to see a a, a dialing back in, in that regard. And look, when you look at this defense, like you said, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I think I disagree. I think they are more impactful to the team's success next year because the same way that LSU's offense made up for every and whatever this is such like a semantic question but the same way that LSU's offense made up for an LSU defense that maybe wasn't the pure statistical dominant machine that people have become used to last season well if LSU's offense isn't that pure statistical dominant unit next year well then a a great defense could make up for a lot of that and and, and could mask a lot of that in the same way so i i i i do kind of feel that ultimately um the team's success level could be driven more by Bo Pelini and that defense than uh, than the offense next season. Yeah, and the only reason I ask that question is because there's this thing that it's kind of like been on my mind a little about how this LSU offense next year or this year is kind of 
it's weirdly fit together. It's very talented. I just think it's kind of weirdly fit together pieces, which only mean, I don't mean that as a dig. I mean that as I'm just interested to see philosophically what they try because it's kind of the strength of his team is obviously the receivers, right? And if yep. you go by that, you assume like if you want to succeed, you want to go spread them out, air it out, almost air ready at times, you know, especially with the offensive line being a question mark and you need to get the ball out fast because of that. You know, I think like you look at it that way and you're like, you want to just get the ball out fast, get it to receivers, move, move, move. But then you look at the whole picture of this team and you kind of think like speed and quickness isn't exactly what I would call the strength of this offense, though. You know, it's it's a bunch of the majority of the running backs are more kind of physical bulldozer types. The offensive line, we're still kind of figuring out what it's even going to look like, but I'm not sure what what their strengths are right now. You know, the receivers, as talented as they are, they're kind of a lot of really big dudes. And don't get me wrong, they're athletes, and they're most of them are pretty fast and athletic. But, you know, it's more of a size receiving core than a, you know, a quick one. So I, I, all I say is, like, I just wonder, and I, I don't even know the answer, but I wonder how they're going to fit all this together because it just – it's an offense of a lot of talent, but I'm not sure how the pieces necessarily miss together. So that was uh, this is I mean, way on a tangent, me, but so to me, to me, offensively, and 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 look, I do think that that's the great part about having an excellent defense is simply that it gives you the room to kind of figure these things out. Because you're absolutely right. Like I'm sitting here talking about how yeah, maybe they do naturally go more conservative, but. As you pointed out, if your strengths to wide receivers, maybe they go the opposite direction, and they're like, "No, screw that, dude. We're just gonna sling it. We're just gonna. I mean, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna keep going. We might even go farther than last year. So like, there's a lot of different directions they could go. Uh, but 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 offensively, I mean, I, I I don't think it's very complicated. Even I still just it's it's so obviously boils down to how good is the offensive line, and then by extension, like. First, you have to answer that question, and then it's how good is Miles Brennan, right? Because yeah. if, if 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 the O line's bad, then it's going to be kind of tough to judge Brennan on a like twenty eighteen uh, Burrow, yeah, like yeah, like purely on his own merits, right? And if the O line is good, though, then 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 you get to okay, how much then Brennan will matter more, but like the because everywhere else, dude, I mean. LSU's not just good. It looks like they could be like, well, I mean, I guess it's really just wide receiver and then having Eric Gilbert at tight end, but it looks like they could be elite at those positions. And so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. So I would say, Brody, if I were putting together a list of what ifs that LSU had to meet if they were going to be a contender, that my number one if would be if the offensive line gels and is good. Now, this falls right in line with something we want to talk about, which is an excellent Bill Connolly article from today, uh, where it says how each top 2020 college football team becomes a national title contender and how he ranks. He looked at 18 teams that have title odds of plus 10,000 or better. And in order to sort them into groups, he counted the ifs, right? So he said, okay, how many ifs does Alabama need to get to national championship? How many ifs do they have to answer? And it's a great kind of lens to view this through. So uh, do you have anything you want to say about this article before I just jump straight into the teams? I say just jump into it. Let's do it. Okay. So uh, first on the list, the Clemson Tigers plus 250. Two ifs. This is the group of two ifs. It says if. And there are only three teams in the two if category. Yes. It says if uh, the offensive line is at least solid, if a young safety core doesn't 
suffered too many glitches. Uh, so Clemson, well, not exactly in LSU shoes because they still have Trevor Lawrence, but Trevor Lawrence in a bit of an interesting position now where this is his big year, his third year, he's coming into his own, and now he's going to be playing behind an offensive line that lost four linemen with 126 combined starts. That's a lot of experience leaving. And you lose, you know, you already knew you were losing T. Higgins, and then you obviously the the awful news we just found out yesterday is that Justin Ross is out for the season, oh, and who sucks, knows if he'll ever return. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden you're going from wow, Clemson's going to just bring it all back and be loaded this year to like, well, all of a sudden you're like, I mean, I, I want to be clear, I'm sure the receivers are going to be fine at Clemson, but I'm just saying like your 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 offensive line's gone, your receivers are suddenly their their experience is gone. Now you're like, wow, I mean, it's two stars in Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, but running backs don't really change games that much anymore. You know, they're more pieces. So I just kind of you do wonder about that, I, and I almost wonder if you know the odds. I would love to see what the odds have changed since that news came out because it does just kind of slightly skew the way I view that team, which might not be fair at all. But but I, I can't help but wonder that. Hey hey Brody, where where does it all start? It starts up front, T Bob. Yeah. Oh, where's the battle one? In the trenches. Oh, two for two. You're a football expert now. Uh, you know, former so, South Jersey nose tackle. I'm not going to. Oh yeah, that's right, dude. If you want to make a big deal out of it, it's. I you know, forgot. It's you're, you're no stranger to trench <laughs> warfare. You've been in the shit. Um, and and then defensively, they it's just talk about left and right. Yeah, defensively, they. <laughs> oh my god, LSU is Apu Ika Tyler Shelvin at like three fifty and three forty a piece, taken up the middle. How much is a high school Brody Miller? Uh, I mean, I used to, like I was like five nine two twenty. Yeah, yeah, that's the most high school nose guard size I have ever. I mean, heard. to be clear, I was undersized even for my high school level at nose tackle. To be very clear, but you know, it's a finesse move. You know, it's a you got to play the mismatch both ways. If you're small, let's get quicker. You know, so yeah, dude, a little pass rush into the man. interior. Absolutely, uh, hit him with a spin. Um, and so I guess this this just basically says that. Clemson's doing this uh, flip-flopping thing, right, where so they had the incredible D-line, and then last year the D-line was young, but the secondary was incredible. And so this has now gone the opposite direction, right, where... Which is very similar to what Alabama's about to get yes, to. Yes, and exactly yeah. what we're going to talk about with Alabama, where the, the front seven looks like they're going to be great again this year, but maybe there's some questions of the secondary. Yeah, I mean, that's an example of, you know, the offensive line and with and all the other things with Clemson, those are probably very real concerns. But, I mean, maybe this is just a lazy opinion, but I kind of just always go to, like, I assume Brent Venables will yes. figure that out. I assume he's been recruiting at a level where the secondary will be completely fine, which is well, also I mean, how I view a, a Nick Saban defense every year. Yeah, exactly. But also look at, like, what he did last year, right? He lost all these first-rounders on the D-line. And then despite not having a dominant D-line, he still put together one of the best pass defenses in the entire country. So, yeah, betting on Venables and Saban, you're not going to go wrong. Uh, so next on the list with two ifs, Ohio State, if the pass rush holds up because uh, they're losing Chase Young. I mean, I don't know. I don't know much to say there beyond, yeah, making up for a guy who had 16 and a half sacks is tough. 
Yeah, I mean, Ohio State, you know, because the two ones are if the pass rush holds up and if the young high upside receivers prove that upside, it's yeah. kind of a similar thing so here. So specific where, on that second one. <laughs> I love it. it. But it's kind of a similar thing as Clemson in a way where it's, you know, the quarterback's a superstar, right? And you know, some of these, you know, you know, some of the running backs and whatnot are really good and all that. But it's purely just a thing of, you know, the the foundations are good. It's just like... It's a matter of your betting on the the recruits to develop, you know, like at some of those skill spots. You know, you're hoping that five star receiver at Ohio State is gonna be a good player as a sophomore. You hope that that's cornerback. You could be, you know, it's like that's the weird thing with college football is a lot of it's like unless you're really in the weeds, you're kind of betting on these opinions of of just kind of trusting a program, you know, because yeah. I know Ohio State's good in almost yeah. every major way. It's some, one of the best offensive lines. You know, you know, Justin Fields is the goods. You know, all those things. Sean Wade's back, all that. But you're just kind of betting on. I like, hey, I bet Ohio State's gonna have great receivers. Well, I mean, you know, and that's kind of that's the company that LSU's trying to get in with, right? I 100%. mean, you look at the top of this list: Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. You just blind pick and say, oh, yeah, they're going to be good because they're Alabama. Or, oh, they're going to be good. They're Ohio State. And so it works I wonder, out. It, it brought a question to my mind of, okay, so actually, wait, I know the answer is I start to ask it. So it's actually a dumb question. But I was going to say, we talk about how like we know, you know, Ohio State's going to just crank out more stars at this position. And we know Alabama's going to just crank out studs in the secondary, things like that. Does that I realize now I know the answer. But does LSU have an area where you're just like, Okay, yeah, yeah, they're, you know, even if you were like a casual thing, you're like, all right, they're going to crank somebody out there. But yes, I realize it's cornerback right after I started asking it. Is there another one, though? Uh, you said court, quarterback, right? Corner. No, no, no. No, I think, I think you have that wrong. I think you're looking for quarterback. <laughs> uh, let me look up the Real most. Real quick, pulling up the quarterback stats from T-Bob's era. Real quick, be right back. Uh, hold on, hold on now, hold on now. Let's look up the most drafted quarterbacks <laughs> over the last 20 years. The, the best stat. That is an example of how stats can be abused. In, in, in Whoa, the, wait, in did, the you, did you remember what it is on the top of your head? I can't find it. I don't remember, but it was you're thinking you're talking about the Steve Ensminger tweet, right? Uh, well, no, there's a late, there's a new, there's one a more recent post, one. Yeah, there's a more recent one post Burrow, but it whatever. was like most quarterbacks drafted in the past like ten or fifteen years or something, and and it's LSU is number one because they've just had a ton <laughs> go in like the sixth and seventh round, which Let's is yeah, go, an example dude. of how stats are not always your friend. Let's <laughs> go, like you said, people think quarterback when they think LSU. No, obviously corner. Yeah, don't be an idiot, DBU, Brody. Come on. I know. I realized after I started asking, but then I was, but then I was wondering, like, is there any other area? Because defensive lines had lulls. Oh, running back, running back. I think a few people have called them running back. You, they consistently have put running back in the NFL year in and year out. Okay, it's been it's been crazy. Okay, because yeah, O line has plenty of years where it's bad. D line kind of goes definitely not O line. Yeah, D line has a lot of hills and valleys. Linebacker, yes, pretty good. I would actually say linebacker, linebacker, dude. D White, Duke Riley, Dion Jones, Quan Alexander. Just a crazy run. Yeah, Um, that's true. Linebacker, you secretly now. The one I was going to just Patrick Queen. Wow. The one I was just going to like. What made me ask that question was I almost wonder if it's not there yet, but I have a gut feeling receiver is going to be the one we look back on in like five or seven years. It's like wow, they have to keep it going. Because why well, I say that because we've known for a very long time LSU has sent really good receivers to the NFL. 
but it's, you know, they didn't do much in college and all that. All of a sudden, now we know they have the offense to work with it. We saw the ridiculous things they did last year, and they're still recruiting great receivers. They got five stars coming in this year and next year and all that. It's like, wow, is LSU about to become a receiver factory? It's it's just, it, that's all I got. But One thing curious. I'm worried about, Joe Brady's departure. I think he worked with those yeah. wide receivers a bit more than I realized, and I wonder if Linehan can have the same success level. All right, we got about five minutes left, so we're going to roll through these real quick. Uh, Alabama, we already mentioned well, defensively, they got to flip him. How about this small sample Mac Jones becoming large sample Mac Jones? I don't think I realized that in four and a half games, so he started against Auburn and Michigan, he completed 69% of his passes and had a 91 QBR. It's impressive. And he's very similar situation to Miles Brennan where you know the situation surrounding him, surrounding him at least of the skill positions, is so good that Mac yeah. Jones just needs to be pretty good and Alabama's going to be very good. And I think that's actually very similar to LSU and Miles Brennan. That's all I got. Let's move. So Alabama, two ifs. Uh, Georgia Bulldogs, Wait. three ifs. Oh, yeah, sorry. Go the way on. I wanted to do it, though, is I wanted to go th- – okay, so of the two ifs, which do you feel most confident in? Of the two if teams, Ohio State, Bama, Clemson, who are you most confident? Go. Um, I'm just going to go Clemson because I think the ACC is just it, – it's such it makes it tough to think that Clemson won't go undefeated. All right, that's probably a good bet. I was going to say Ohio State, but it's a good bet. It's like a sad, just like mathematical, whatever odds are. The That's ACC what we're about here. We're numbers guys. Uh, right. Yeah, you remember your context guy. That's what you do. You just yell that's context at people. <laughs> uh, Georgia Bulldogs, three ifs. If Jamie Lo- Newman lives up to the height, the quarterback transfer, absolutely. If one more receiver emerges, absolutely. It was painfully clear. They were missing threats against uh, against LSU last season, and then but they also had all those here. injuries. Yes, that is true. Uh, if the havoc rate continues context. to climb, uh-huh. <laughs> Captain Context, uh, and this just says <laughs> that for for as good as Georgia's defense was, they maybe weren't the most disruptive. And again, that's why they were such a bad matchup for LSU because the only way to mess with Burrow last year was to be. Disruptive. Another SEC team next on the three if list. Uh, one that we talk about one A and one B when it comes to Georgia on this show. The Florida Gators. Uh, if third down defensive Bruce, I thought this was pretty damning on Todd Grantham. These numbers. So even with that pass rush last year, Florida was fifty third in third and long success rate allowed. Fifty fourth on third and medium. Uh, and he's already known for being like the, you know, the blitz guy and the all out guy. But like that speaks to someone who's given up a lot of big plays, be uh, maybe over blitzing. Yeah, that, that was fascinating because by the time they were playing LSU, they were like number one in every single one of those stats, which just shows how much it fell off. And and honestly, I think the LSU game probably screwed those stats up a little bit. Being, and, you know, Captain Context, it's worth mentioning, like Zuniga and Grenard both missed good portions of the LSU game, and that probably skewed the stats a little But But still, I mean, it's a 14-game, 13-game sample size. Yeah, that was that was shocking. And, and they're only losing their best pass rushers. So it's not like it – I wouldn't expect it to get better when you lose C.J. Henry. Anderson and your two best pass rushers. So you, you got to think though they got enough talent to where that you could fix that schematically. That feels like would, a schematic issue to me more than a player personnel issue. Maybe I'm wrong. Though. You would think, but to some extent, Todd. I mean, I, uh, you're overall right, but I'm just saying we're talking about Florida and Todd Grantham, and Todd yeah, Grantham's been he's known for do him. twenty years. Yeah, that's fair. He's and the last one I found, I found the last one in Florida really interesting, which is if Dan Mullen's skill core, you know, recruiting bears fruit because. He's been recruiting good talent at Florida skill positions, 
But I think it's just worth mentioning his Mississippi State teams down the stretch, the the, fa- the fundamental flaw that kind of limited them in some years that they could have been great was receiver. I mean, look at Nick Fitzgerald's years. He just never had a good guy to throw to, which was – I don't know if that's Mullen's recruiting or if that's his development or which part of it, but he they just could not develop a great receiver at Mississippi State in those later years. So I, I really fascinating to see year three at Florida, recruiting at a higher level. Can he actually develop receivers, which will be huge for contrast? So last two 3F teams, uh, Penn State, we won't talk about it, and then uh, the LSU – Tigers, uh, the 3Fs for the Tigers. I actually Tigers. disagree with most of the ifs. So, okay, so it says if a couple of new hires clear an extremely high bar, talking about Linehan and uh, and uh, Bo Pelini. Um, yeah, I mean, sure, uh, it says if Miles Brennan is ready and then if a better pass rush emerges. To me, like I said, my biggest if is the offensive line. So if I was doing ifs, that would be one of them. Yeah, I was going to say O-line ranks probably number two for me. Miles Brennan has to be one, and you're foolish if not to put him there. So, yeah, I mean, of course, Miles Brennan needs to be on there. I don't know why. Those two are so tied together to me, though, that it's almost one in the same point. That's fair, because I don't know why. Maybe it's just like a me being tired of it thing, but I just don't think I rank the the coaches thing that high, and I don't know why. Well, okay, if if, if you want to play devil's advocate, Pelini has an incredible – you know, he has a really good resume, et cetera, et cetera. The talent – that there are the coaches ultimate co- talent besides coaching over anything that's still going to be great and steve Insminger's still the oc so yeah I don't know. yeah i mean so exactly that's kind of what i go back to it's like i my, my i'm a broken record but i keep saying they needed joe brady but i don't think they're lost without joe brady you know joe oh, brady got them where they're great need line to. i don't know though we'll see but and but i think the better pass rush thing is big because it's true they did not have a great pass rush for most of the season statistically which i think was a lot of strategy and you know Dave Randa only pressured when he needed to and kind of dialed it up down the stretch there was reasons for it but it's still true the reason I think will be better this year is moving to the four-man front I think will actually really improve it I think they're going to be much more aggressive than they used to when before it was kind of more taking up double teams up front those kind of things but also I'd say it's by default going to be a much better interior rush which I think a lot of analytics and things show that the interior rush is in a way more important these days because more, yep. or at least more of an inefficiency and whatnot. So, I, I mean, I have question marks about what their edge rushers are going to do because none of them are known commodities. But I feel like the interior pass rush is going to be, I mean, is it crazy to say like the strength of the football team or number one or two on that no, list next no, receiver? I mean, D line yeah, is the deepest position group on the team, maybe. And I just, I think Tyler Shelvin's actually a really underrated pass rusher for being a nose tackle. Glenn Logan and Neil Farrell as like three techniques going up against guards seems like a mismatch most of the time in a pass rush point of view. And then you got your, you know, you got your Jaquel and Roy's coming in and you're going to see what Ike and Shelvin do just kind of pushing guys back like a Derek Brown. So I I really have a feeling the pass rush is going to be really strong this year. And as a nose guard, Brody, you're, you're used to this. Uh, It's like, (laughs) you you may not, you may not get the sack. But if you push the pocket and exactly. the quarterback can't step up, well, then the DN just gets to clean up sacks. I mean, just like for days. There's, yeah. So um, pass rush spot on. His Miles Brennan take spot on. I think I would just combine that with O-line or maybe even say O-line separately. And then, yeah, I agree with you. I'm not that worried about the coaches. Uh, all right, though. We do Okay, so we're wrapping up. Go. So wait, I wanted to yes. just quickly do this then. So which of the which of the three F teams are you most confident in? Um... I've been banging the Florida drum 
all year long. I'm with you. So I'm, I'll, I'm be, I'll be a there. contrarian for the sake of it and say Georgia just because I know they're a little more known commodity. But yeah, I'm probably with you. All right. And then we're I not going to list I, the. I think Georgia has. Oh, shit, we don't have time. I think Georgia has huge question marks that they're not fully addressing in this what if thing. And then um, we're not going to list them all, but there's a bunch of them. But four F teams. I was curious if you look through them, which one would you put your money on? Because it's, okay, it's. Do you go with your A and M one? Oklahoma, Oregon, Texas, Auburn, Texas A and M. I mean, why not, dude? Because A and M, I guarantee, has a better chance to start ten and zero than any of these other teams. And so much about it is like momentum and improving. So yeah, A and M's going to have a great chance. But then they got to beat LSU and Bama back to back weeks, which that's like a death sentence essentially. I kind of like Texas though. I mean, I, my gut would have been A and M, but I kind of like Texas because they returned so much. I like Ellinger a lot. I kind of like could see that happening. But by the way, if we're just going off the odds next to him, my bet is USC because there's plus 7,500. And like USC is going to have a loaded offense. And I'm not saying they're going to beat Alabama, but if they only lose by like one score to Alabama and then the Pac-12, as we know, is not necessarily strong. If they like run the table in the Pac-12 or something or, or have a really good year and barely lose to Bama, like playoff is 100 percent in the running mm. there. So now I'm not saying Oregon, though, because like Oregon should like they, they had it last year. They blew it. They completely blew it. Can they avoid blowing it this year? Um, yeah. All right, that's where we end it. Yeah, unfortunately, we got to go. Pac-12 talk. <laughs> this is your Pac-12 pod, the Hold That Pac-12 podcast. Uh, no, this is the Hold That podcast podcast. And uh, if you like it, subscribe, share with your friends. Uh, go to athletic.com slash hold that podcast, 40% off your sign-up. Buy your meats at Bear Specialty Meats. And for real, y'all, everybody, uh, stay safe out there. Uh, we love you all, and we will see you next week.